One of the hardest, saddest things for me as both a, a Christian and also as a, as a pastor is to watch someone who seems to be walking in the faith, seems to be growing, seems to be trending in the, in, in the right direction, and then to see them begin to, to drift, to see them to begin to, to doubt the things that are being proclaimed from God's Word, to begin to, to have a, a spirit of suspicion and skepticism provoked in their hearts. And then to come to find out that as you talk to them more about kind of what's been going on, that you learn that they've been, well, they've been starting to listen to this podcast. They've been starting to, there's this YouTuber that they, they just can't seem to get enough of. There's these, these blogs that just really seem to be addressing some things that, that, you know what, everybody else needs to be talking about because everybody else is kind of cowardly. And you can see them begin to, to galvanize in their heart and, and begin to, to harden to the, the, the purity and the, 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 the clarity of the devotion to Christ and, and to begin to, to drift. Maybe this is happening to some friends of yours. Maybe family members have seen this happen over the years. They've gotten into some, some vlogger or a social media thing and it's it's led to deception and division and danger. Well, that's not just something that happens in our day. Jesus warned that this is going to be happening in every age, and it was happening in the days when Paul penned 2 Corinthians. This is really what 2 Corinthians is all about. 2 Corinthians is written to this church that is enamored with worldliness. They, they've heard the gospel, they've received the gospel. But they still love the flashy stuff. They love the stuff that, that tickles the flesh, as it were. They love, Paul's fine, he's a little boring, he's not real attractive, his shoes aren't up to style, but, but you know what? These traveling philosophers who come in, these, these super apostles, they, you know what? They're, they're where it's at. These, these false teachers who are coming in and, and peddling God's word and uh, appealing to the flesh, they've, they've led some of the Corinthian church away from pure, sincere devotion to Jesus, and it's, it's hardened their hearts, not just toward Jesus, but toward gospel ministers who are still preaching the clear gospel. And Paul, throughout this letter, has seen this happen to the Corinthian church, and it's breaking his heart, and he is pleading with them. And last week we heard Jason in chapter 5 give us this, this picture that we are ministers of reconciliation, serving as ambassadors on God's behalf, pleading, be reconciled to God. That's what Paul has been doing with this Corinthian church. Don't be duped by these deceivers. They're leading your hearts astray. You're being calloused to Christ. You're hardening your heart against true gospel ministers, including us. This is dangerous. You're being deceived, he says. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where we are this morning, he's going to press in and he is going to say, don't receive God's grace in vain. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be duped by these false teachers. We're opening our hearts to you. Please behold Christ as he truly is and follow us as we follow him. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him then, speaking of God, 
we the apostles, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, it is a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as as children. Widen your hearts also. You can hear Paul pleading with them. He sees them being deceived and duped and led astray. And it's like a father pleading with his children, please don't go the way of the world. And that's really the message to us this morning. Open your heart to gospel ministers so that you'll persevere in God's grace. Open your heart to gospel ministers so you'll persevere in God's grace. God pleads through gospel ministers so that we can hear the true gospel and see the true gospel and persevere in God's grace. Now, it's interesting, as we listen to this text, I kept going back and forth about how to present this, because in one sense, every single one of us, including me, needs to hear this as a bit of a warning, because we're all dupable. All of us can be deceived. So in one sense, we all need to listen to this in the defensive posture of, okay, how do I need to be careful to ensure that I'm not duped and deceived, and at the same time, I'm not the only gospel minister in here. It's not just the pastors. If you're a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. So at the same time, you need to be hearing this as also, how can I be reasoning with and speaking to people who are being deceived? How do we do do this? So this is both ways for us this morning, okay? Open your heart to gospel ministers so you'll persevere in God's grace. In verses 1 and 2, we are going to get the exhortation to receive God's appeal. 1 and 2, receive God's appeal. Then 3 through 10, recognize gospel ministers. Recognize gospel ministers. And then 11 through 13, respond with open affection. Respond with open affection. Let's look here again at verses 1 and 2. Receive God's appeal. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Through this letter and through the ministry that Paul has with the Corinthian church, he has been pleading with them 
to not resist God's grace. This would have begun as the church began, when they were non-believers. He would have proclaimed, today is the day of salvation. Receive and believe the grace of God. Believe the good news that, that there is a God and that he made you to know him and love him. But there's bad news that you've turned against him and sinned against him. And because he's good, he will judge you. But because he's merciful, he loves to give mercy. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die in your place, to rise from the dead. And now if you will turn from your sin and trust in him, you will be forgiven. Condemnation will fall on Christ and not on you. You will be, you will be reconciled to God and you will walk with him now as his children and help others to do the same until we see his face. Oh, come, people of Corinth, and believe. And some did. And that's how, the church, that's how a church gets, start, gets started. People are born again. They've received the grace of God. And now he's calling them to not do that in vain. Now, before we get into that, I think it's, there is a great mystery here. I just want us to notice. Do you notice that God brings his people into partnership with him to carry out his purposes of reconciliation. Jason talked about this last week uh, very well, but just, just think about that. 1 Corinthians 3.9. We are God's fellow workers. We are, we are God's ambassadors. Working together with him, we appeal. Now this teaches us something about God, doesn't it? I mean, if you're... If you, have a, if you have a kid, and let's say you've got a project, you have a young child, and you have a project to do, and you ask your child to come, hey, can you come and help me build this thing? Are you asking them to help you because it's actually going to go better? Not typically, okay? Now, some, in our house, it might actually go better because I'm not that great with that kind of stuff. Um, but typically, no. Why, would, why is a parent going to do that? Because you love your kids. You want to spend time with them. Right? <laughs> you might want to pick something else because it's going to get angry. But anyway, that's, the, the, the illustration is, the point is that you want time with the kids so you involve them in it. Well, this is what I think we learn about God. G God desires intimacy with his people over efficiency in his purposes. If God wanted done efficiently, he'd have just been like, yo, stop it. Let me do it. And he would just boom. But that's not the way he does it. He employs his people into his purposes and says, come along with me. You are going to be my fellow worker. This gives us as gospel ministers who, again, any of us who are believers, what a high privilege and honor it is to labor with God on behalf of his, his message. And this, this is what Paul's doing here. His, his appeal here bears authority. But it's not just personal authority because he knows them. And it's not just a, a pastoral plea. But this is, this is a divine desire that he's bringing to them. Working together with Jesus, we appeal with you. I'm an ambassador of, of God. We come in the name of Jesus and appeal. We, we beg, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. And then he roots his plea uh, and an Old Testament echo of this from Isaiah uh, 49, 8. Right? In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. In that text, God is announcing that he initiates salvation, that he is ushering in a new creation. So come, come out from the world and come unto God. That's, that's what is happening now. There is, through Christ, 
We saw it last week. If anyone, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. The new has come. Through Christ's resurrection, this end-time restoration is now underway. The, the new age of the gospel is infiltrating. It's breaking in. So respond rightly. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond rightly to, to God. God's plea is urgent through Paul. Do you notice that there twice the word now? Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. There's something significant at stake, he says. There's no time to, to waste in responding rightly. God's heart toward them is for them to be, to be saved, to carry them deeper into his love. Now, why would he say to believers, do not receive the grace of God in vain? Why would he call believers to respond to the day of salvation? Let's start with the second one first. What is the day of salvation? Salvation is God saving his people. It's him rescuing his people. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this reality of salvation is something that is past, present, and future. Hear this in the past, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved, right? There is, upon belief, you are born again, you are justified, you are sealed, you are saved, right? Seated in the heavenlies, it's done. At the same time, salvation is also present, 1 Corinthians 1.18, to us who are being saved, we delight in the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Right now, if you're a Christian, what is God doing? He's saving you. As you continue to cling to him by faith, he is saving you. Think of all the sins you're not getting into anymore because he has saved you from it. You don't love what you used to love. You don't do what you used to do. He's saving you even now from disaster and destruction. He's saving you. And... Romans 13, 11, salvation is now nearer to us than when we first believed. Salvation is also a future thing. It's a future reality where, where full glory is it's pressing in, and we are pressing in as well by faith. So salvation is a process. Justification is a one-time event that happens. Sanctification is the ongoing process of being made like Jesus. Glorification will come on the last day when it's fully, finally finished. That is salvation. He says the day of salvation is at hand. Don't dull your hearts toward it. And final salvation is granted to those who persevere in faith. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what Paul is doing is he is pleading the heart of God to them. Salvation is before you. So we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. To receive it in vain means without purpose or effect. This Corinthian church is facing danger. You see, they, they received the grace of God initially. They heard it. They responded favorably. They would have said, I'm with Jesus. They would have got baptized. They would have joined a church. They'd have been taking the Lord's Supper. They would have been, it'd have been good. But then some of them had begun to vainly relate to it afterward. Where they they aren't treating it with the same sort of 
vigor and delight and purity as they did before, and it's beginning to call into question it, what really happened. Did you receive the grace of God in vain? Are you receiving the grace of God in vain? Similar statements in 1 Corinthians 15. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, present tense, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Persevering in faith is Saving faith is persevering faith. That, that, that is what saving faith is. So there's, there's just not biblical assurance for somebody who when they were eight years old said, I want to follow Jesus, made a profession of faith, then got baptized, and now doesn't follow Jesus. There's no assurance for that person. There's not. There's nothing like that in the Bible. I'm not saying what happened at eight was not unimportant. What I'm saying though is, What's happening today? He who has the Son has life. And Paul sees in them some, some wavering that makes him afraid. They're not tethered to the gospel in the same way that they, they were before. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that, that they might lose their salvation. That's impossible. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation uh, is a gift from God. God keeps those that he calls to himself but he's reminding them that salvation requires perseverance. Again, not in perfection. There's not per perseverance in perfection, but there is perseverance in faith in the grace of God. So who's a true Christian? Those who persevere to the end. Now, what could lead someone to receive God's grace in vain? Listen to this from Luke chapter 8. The parable of the sower is a really good parable if you want to study later on more about this. Jesus speaking about um, some of the, uh, the, the seed that fell and then sprouts up. It says, what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, maybe the Corinthians, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In some sense, the, 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 the world is choking out the faith of some, right? Worldliness is dangerous. It dulls your affections to Jesus. It hinders your pursuit of heaven. And nothing advances worldliness among the church like false teachers. And this is what's been happening, is you have some worldly-minded teachers who come in the name of Jesus. They got the Jesus garb on, but they've got a different thing going on, and they're calling the Corinthians away from pure devotion to him. 2 Corinthians 11, which we'll see, Lord willing, in, in the future, some point, maybe in the spring. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 11:2. This is him speaking to the church. I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul says, this is my responsibility as a, as a gospel minister, is to, to point you to Jesus to introduce you to him, for you to know him, and for now me to help you to remain faithful to him. That's, that's, a, that's, that's gospel ministry, is to help fellow believers remain faithful to Jesus until we see his face. Verse three, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a pure, from, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, 
than the one we proclaimed, or if we receive a, uh, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Meaning, people are coming in and peddling these other Jesuses, and you sure seem to be okay with it. You're not, you're not canceling them. In fact, you start canceling us. Indeed, I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. We'll see that later. He gets super sarcastic about it. But that's his, that's his, he's using that in a way. He's like, oh, these super guys. They're not that super. These false teachers were presenting another Jesus, a Jesus who added legalistic requirements, a Jesus who permitted uh, worldly perversion, a Jesus who encouraged worldliness. Paul says, don't listen to the liars. The, today is the day of salvation. Press into it. And the way you do that is following the pure gospel that we've been preaching to you. A cold heart toward gospel ministers is a dangerous sign because it means you are warming your heart somewhere else. And Paul sees that happening here. The stakes are high. And the reason he's pleading so urgently is because he knows that the, the longer that deceptive ideas are allowed to linger the more they seem reasonable to the one who holds them. You begin to become confused and convinced and then captured. In 2020, there was a massive spiritual attack on the church in America and around the world, but particularly as, as, as my view in, in America during the pandemic. Um, false teachers of all various sorts unleashed articles and blogs and videos provoking deception by promoting all sorts of different ideologies tied to political and racial and cultural propaganda that oftentimes was yeah, intermingled with scripture in a way just enough to, to entice the hearts of spiritually interested unbelievers as well as many true but immature believers. And the effect of that was that hearts became hardened, not for everybody, but for quite a number, hearts became hardened toward pure gospel ministers, and there was a, a bit of a radicalization and tribalization, in many ways it was sad and, and scary to see, divided the church into our tribes, during that time, so, uh, and continue to see the effects of a spike in deconstructing of faith, a spike in division among longtime gospel friends. There are people who used to delight in Christ together, who used to be together for the gospel, who can't even have meals together anymore. There's a spike in people leaving faithful gospel ministries who are preaching the pure word because they're not radical enough or they're too radical. Now, I want to be really clear, not all of the people who changed churches during that time, it's because they were deceived. I'm not saying that all pastors who have adjusted views have done so wrongly, but there's a bunch of it going on. The church, as it were, is not better at this time. We're the worse for it. There's been more tribalization, more hardened hearts, more lines drawn, and it's always done in the name of faithfulness. Somebody's got to be true to the gospel. Amen. But I think we need to be really careful about what we think that means. 
There's an urgent appeal here by Paul. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Today is the day of salvation. Do not be duped. Do not be deceived by liars. That's point number one. Receive God's appeal. Secondly, recognize gospel ministers. Recognize gospel ministers. In verses 3 through 10, Paul paints a picture for us of true, a true gospel minister's life. It's going to be a life that is going to be distinct from the world and worldliness, and it's going to look a whole lot like Jesus. Jesus says, or Paul says, let's, let's scroll through my Instagram feed, all right? And what you're going to notice is that all we do in, in endeavors to put Jesus on display, not ourselves. But if you scroll through some other people's Instagram feeds, it's going to look a little different. It's going to be promoting something else that's tied to the world and self-promotion. Paul here is commending himself as an example, the same way he would in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is not a prideful thing to do if it's true. And here he's going to, he's going to lay it out, and he does this all throughout the book. In a way, to be honest with you, sometimes can make us feel uncomfortable. You're like, man, you're just kind of laying out your resume there. And it, he's going to even say, it's, it's like you forced me to do this. It's kind of his, his heart. So he doesn't love doing this, but it's, he needs to show them true gospel ministry. Verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul and the other apostles here have one ambition. They want to ensure that they do nothing to put an obstacle between anyone and the gospel. He says, we've labored diligently to make sure that if somebody rejects the true Jesus, it's not because of something that we've done or said or some kind of way that we've updated the, updated the message or changed the, the direction. It's not because we've progressed. We are not doing that. We are. We have done everything in our power to not put a, a stumbling block. Verse 3, we commend ourselves in every way, which doesn't mean we promote ourselves to bring us and our brand a bunch of glory. Rather, true gospel servants live to magnify Jesus. It's the John the Baptist ministry, right? JTP, what did he say? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. And what John would say is, follow me in this way. Paul says, that's the way. We decrease so that Jesus increases. We speak like Jesus. We serve like Jesus. We suffer like Jesus. And now he's going to unpack, as it were, a catalog of true gospel ministry. In verses 4 and 5, we're going to see the suffering he endures. He endures. In verses 6 and 7, the holiness he has. And then 8 through 10, the, the paradoxes he trusts in. 4 and 5, he en the suffering he endures. He, we, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. The word means to stand up under crushing circumstances. He says the circumstances are hard, yet by God's grace we stand up under it. This happens in afflictions. The word means painful sufferings. Hardships. It means to press in on a way that brings distress. It's cr like crushing here. Calamities, it's difficulties and, and distress. Beatings means to punish by hitting. Imprisonments means to be 
locked in or tied up or chained up. Riots, this violent sort of disorder and insurrection. L- labors, this wearisome work. Sleepless nights. He's unable to sleep because of, of some sort of insomnia with either anxiety over the churches or just afflictions. He's hungry, unable to eat due to external circumstances. Right, when you, when you, he says, this, these gospel ministers are going to have these sorts of things on their resume. It's not everybody standing around applauding them and saying, you're the man. Sister, you, you, you're awesome. Like, that's not what's happening. Rather, if you follow Jesus, you should expect that what happened to Jesus will happen to you in varying degrees. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, but he says, in afflictions, you see that there? That word in, in the original language, is actually before every single one of the words. These are not occasional obstacles for him. This is his itinerary. This is what is before him. This is what is before gospel ministers. The way of Christ is the way of suffering, which is different than the, than the, the false teachers. The false teachers are always finding ways to avoid suffering by being acceptable to the world. They're going to do whatever they can to alter the message so that nobody's going to, like, cancel them. We're going to tone down whatever kind of doctrine we need to in order to not be offensive because we're trying to win people for Jesus. So that's a really dangerous path because the path of Christ is one of suffering. Then 6 and 7, he speaks of the holiness that he has. By by purity, there's a practical holiness. He's, He's void of perversion. There's knowledge. There's accurate insight into spiritual truths. There's There's patience. They, they, they bow to God's timing in all things. Rather than them manipulating situations to get their agenda to move forward, they have to trust God. There's, there's kindness. There's one of the marks of a gospel min- minister is kindness and gentleness, where they, they have a tenderheartedness that, that's moved by compassion toward fellow sinners and sufferers. The Holy Spirit, who empowers his ministry, genuine love, not a hypocritical sort of affection that shows some favoritism for people, but genuine love, truthful speech, no lies, no deceit, no trickery, no footnotes. The power of God, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. He's, he's saying we're, we're fully equipped by God's power, his armor to engage in spiritual battle. Paul's taking a tour here of his, of his life. And... He says, this doesn't look like what the world loves. Like, this is not the stuff that sells books. <laughs> this is not the stuff that gets people to line up uh, and follow you uh, around. This isn't like the, the, the preachers who, who take you on, their, on their, their live feed through their, you know, their, their, their closets with all their designer suits and all their Air Jordan 1s, right? Like, that's, that's not what this is, this is about. Paul says, our boast When you look at me, as much as possible, all I want you to see is Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. When I speak, I want you to hear the gentleness of Jesus. When I engage with someone, I want you to see the kindness of Jesus. If there's any kind of power in my ministry, if there's any kind of fruit, you should be able to point directly and say, the Holy Spirit did that. There's nothing flashy or or worldly that you can point to and say, yeah, well, this is your gimmick. Like, there's no reason There's no reason to explain any kind of good thing that's happening other than Jesus is doing it. And in verses 8 through 10, there's these paradoxes here. There's nine pairs of opposites. 
where he's showing the up, down, upside down ways of the kingdom of God, where weakness is strength. Verse 8, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. He says, we, we are shamed and slandered, yet God, God is pleased with us, and he will honor us, and he, he praises us for being faithful, and God's people recognize it. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as known and yet well-known. People are treating us with suspicion. They're coming in saying, oh, you can't really trust them. They're, they're, they're this, they're that. And they use slander to do it. The, the other day, uh, I was looking up Jason Seville for some reason on the internet, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to see what, what would come up if I Googled his name, and I looked it up, and I mean, nothing great. <laughs> no, just great, normal things, right? So I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen if I Google my name. And uh, it was really interesting. So there was one, uh, one page that described my ministry, and I was described as a religious socialist. And I thought, I don't even know what a religious socialist is, but there's no way. And they were highlighting all these associations that I had and all this kind of weird stuff. And I just thought, that's just not, that's not true. That's just not, that's not true. But it's the way that the world operates. This is D.C., you know this. Let's make up some stuff about somebody so that people look like, oh, you can't trust them, right? So Jason, Jason I'm glad your track record's better than mine. But um, he says, the world looks at us as, as suspicious, untrustworthy. But in the end, a gospel minister can't, can't care. Everybody in here who's, who's walked with Jesus has had somebody say something wrong with, about you because of it. They've, they've come up with every reason as to why, oh, you're doing this Jesus thing and whatever it is. And if not, just know that that, that, that is coming. It is, it is the way of Christ. And one of the things I think Paul would say to us as a fellow gospel minister is, even if everyone else misunderstands you, God knows you. God sees. God knows. He knows the truth. So rest in that. It gives peace and contentment. He goes on to say, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed. He said, some will beat us and try to defeat us, and they may even put us in the grave, but you know what? We're going to be raised from the dead, because Jesus rose, we're with him. You, you, can't, you can't stomp out the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. We are treated as imposters, and yet are true, as unknown, and yet very well known. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have nothing. Sometimes we, we, it feels like we lose everything for following Christ. We have tears of sorrow. He says sometimes we have to scrap together enough to, all we have just to, to eat. Yet, in the midst of it, we're always rejoicing. Why? Because if we have Jesus, we have enough. If we have him, we have all things. Take it all. It's like the, in Hebrews 11. It said you, you joyfully allow them to plunder your property because you had a possession that's greater that they can't take away. This is the heart and the freedom of a gospel minister. He tells us how to recognize the true gospel ministers. God's servants are those who endure suffering and shame for the sake of his name. You want to you find the true gospel ministers? It's, it's ones who will endure suffering and shame for the sake of his name. Now you might wonder, now how in the world does that sort of life that Paul's just laid out there commend Jesus and remove obstacles from the gospel. So you're telling me, hey, come to Jesus and you're going to get shame, you're going to get suffering, 
you're going to get mocked and misunderstood and rejected and all of that. Yes. You're like, how is that bad marketing? <laughs> like, that's not the way to get people into your club. Okay. But it tells us something. It tells us that Jesus is totally worth it. He's totally worth all of that. Whatever hardship may come, Jesus is worth it. He's worth more than all of the ease and the comfort and the wealth that this world could ever give. He is infinitely more precious than any possession or popularity that you could ever try to keep. He's better than all of that. He's better. He's worth it. Paul says that's how we commend the true gospel, is that we're, endure, and we're willing to endure whatever it needs to so that Jesus can be seen clearly. And by the way, if you go back through all of those things, it's basically a portrait of Jesus. He was the man of sorrows who at the same time was always rejoicing in his father. He was the one who was poor, who had nowhere to lay his head, and yet at the same time inherits all things and goes to prepare a place for us in his father's house. He was the one who left everything and yet now says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus embodies all of these and his, his gospel ministers ought to emulate him. Now again, from the world's perspective, true gospel ministry is unimpressive. It's boring. It's plain. It's inconvenient. Pure gospel ministry removes all obstacles that people could look to and either be turned off by or tempted to trust in. Brothers and sisters, we don't peddle a flashy faith. We don't tout a glitzy gospel. True gospel ministry doesn't use emotionally manipulative, flesh-impressing methods. We don't have zip lines into the, ba into the baptistry. Now, come on. You want to talk about want to get some baptism numbers up? Don't lie. How many of you, if we had that, would be tempted to get baptized? Huh? See? I mean, for real. You can do stuff like that to get baptism numbers up. And if you get baptism numbers up, then you look more impressive, and then your donors will give more money, and then it's just a vicious cycle. Our entire denomination has been accused of that over the years. We're not going to use fog machines to heighten the mood. We're not going to do goofy gimmicks that, that imitate the, the things that the world loves and their trends in order to get people in, right? I mean, there's some, there's some terrible sorts of, anyway, just don't do it. Jesus is not the greater Captain America. Just don't do it, okay? Just <laughs> stop, please. It, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, right? We're not going to have wardrobe consultants to keep the the preacher, fresh and clean. Not, I mean, Jason and I couldn't pull it off anyway, but the point is, that's, that's not what we trust in. We're not going to be on preachers with sneakers, with the latest kicks. That's not what we're doing. Our, our social media account won't be flexing our impressive clothes or our luxury houses or all of the famous people that we know. But there are gospel ministers who do that because they think that if they can be like the world, then they can win the world. But that change, it confuses people. It confuses people about who Jesus really is. It presents another Jesus. 
It presents a Jesus who if you follow this Jesus, you're going to get comfort. You're going to get acceptance. You're going to get applause. You're going to get inclusion. You're going to get promotions. You're going to get worldly prosperity. You're going to get power. It entices people to come to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Now, I want to be really clear. It is good and right to find ways to be creative with, with gospel truths in order to woo people. That's totally fine. But there's a fine line between creative and manipulative. At the same, so emotions, there's a way to be manipulative with emotions. And then there's people like us who could use some help with our emotions. Like, no offense, but there's a, our tribe tends to not know what to do with emotions. We just think emotions are bad. Well, that's not healthy either, so we could grow in that direction. But there is a whole lot of emotional manipulation that goes on in religion. The old adage of what you win them with is what you win them to. Listen, if you present Jesus as something other than who he is, the suffering servant of sinners who's a glorious king and a holy judge, you will win people to something but not to Jesus. Not to the Jesus who says, if you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul says, that's what my resume looks like. All these other jokers, though, they're trying to avoid that by being like the world. They're peddling a different gospel. You want to get false converts? That's the way you do it. You change the message, change the Jesus, and you get people making decisions for Christ, but it's a different Christ. John Piper well said, nobody is drawn to Jesus as the spiritual, saving, satisfying treasure of their souls by the luxurious lifestyle of those who supposedly preach the word. What people who are drawn to preachers who make much of luxury are hoping for is for them to get luxury. That's what they're looking for. What people who are drawn to trendy, fashionable preachers who make much of popularity, what they're looking for is the hope of popularity and acceptance. What people who are drawn to critical theological trolls who sit in their parents' basement and make clips out of people and then put them on blast and talk about all the ways that they're wrong, people who love that kind of stuff, what they're hoping for is to find somebody to stoke their self-righteous pride. What people who are drawn to preachers who promote political candidates, especially at the cost of the gospel, what they're after is worldly power to further earthly kingdoms. You think that couldn't happen? All of those things, that's, that's just, from, just from looking over the past couple of years. You cannot commend the truth that Jesus is better than the world if you call people to love the world by giving them a different Jesus who's like the world. The gospel minister doesn't do that. We speak like Jesus. We serve like Jesus. We suffer like Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear that there is a spectrum of faithfulness that can get blurry. And it is, it is difficult sometimes to discern, but you, we must be on guard. We must be discerning, which does not mean that everybody needs to be skeptical and suspicious. That's not what this is intended to do. It's intended to press us, though, to be, to be in the word humble, open, honest, to be, to be in the word with other people, we have to be very careful. There are, there are times to preach topical sermons. I think we should preach probably some more topical sermons on some relevant things. But if your whole ministry is about 
what's trendy, what's important, what's now, and you're never teaching through books of the Bible, you're going to get weird. Because you're trusting yourself as a ministry to be able to determine what everybody needs when God plainly lays out what everybody needs in their word. There's hundreds of ways we could do this. But Paul says, follow preachers who look like Jesus, not perfect people, but people who strive to be humble servants who speak the truth in love as Christ did and willing to suffer for his name. Dowry Baptist Church, may that mark us as gospel ministers. And may we be open to receiving critique for when it doesn't. And may God give us grace. Which is what he's hoping for, finally, in verses 11 through 13. Respond with open affection. Respond with open affection. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Paul is pleading with the Corinthian church here not to turn away from him, not to turn away from faithful fellow gospel ministers, but rather to open their hearts back to to fellowship. He says, we've spoken freely to you, meaning not deceitful, not trickery, it's just sincere speech. We're not mincing words. We're not saying one thing and meaning another, which the false teachers were always doing. He says our heart is wide open. The word means expanded, broadened, widened. It's actually, it's, it's used to speak of a, a widening of a road. It's, it, it, you, you, you widen a road, why? To make your commute miserable? No. Why do you do it? So you can put more traffic so more cars can go, right? Paul says, listen, this is what is, this, we're, we're pressing through the hurt, we're pressing through the pain, we're pressing through the drama in our relationship, and we keep, we're trying to widen our hearts so that more love can flow from us to you. We've widened our hearts to you. You see the vulnerability that happens in gospel ministry? There's a willingness to be hurt. You do this, it's going to get hurt. You're, you're, it's going to happen at some, at some point. Gospel ministry is risky. It requires you to pursue people as Jesus did. This is how Jesus came, open, willing to be misunderstood for the good of others. That is what must mark us. It is the way of of Jesus. must be willing to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be thought wrongly of, to have your motives questioned, to be misunderstood. Verse 12, he says, you are not restricted by us. He's like, listen, guys. The reason things are not well right now is not because we haven't extended our heart to you. There's a standing invitation. Our door is open. Our hands are extended. We've widened the road of our hearts, and we're doing so once again, even now, pleading with you. Receive this invitation to fellowship, but you are restricted in your own affections. The the word for restricted means to go down to a one-lane road where less traffic can go through. You all know about this, right? He says, this is what you're doing in your heart toward us. Rather than being wide open and saying, okay, let's talk, saying, no, we don't want to hear from you. Because there's suspicion or there's callousness or there's hardness or there's unforgiveness or whatever it may be. The the language that's used here is actually really interesting. Your affections, the words means your, your guts, your entrails, your innards. It's where feeling and emotion happens. Your innards are, and then the word for restricted means stopped up. 
He says, you're relationally constipated with us. That's, I mean, that's, that's living Bible, but it's what it means. He's like, There's, it's not working. He's like, your heart? He says, please, we love you. We've shown you that we love you. Love us in return. And then he pleads with him, verse 13, I speak to you as children. Not in a condescending way, like, all right, kids, get it together. But as a, as a father, as a mother, who things aren't right with their child, and they come and they say, please, we love you. Widen your hearts to us. Please. Delray Baptist, I want to ask you, how are you tempted to close your heart toward gospel people? Are, 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 there, are there people that you used to run with who used to, you used to think of as faithful that maybe you've closed your hearts against, that you've canceled, that because of, of whatever reason you've said, you know what, I'm done with them. Now, I want to be really clear, some of you have rightly closed off your hearts, right? There are people, certainly, who have, who have been gospel ministers, who have maybe potentially manipulated you or abused you or hurt you or lied to you. There are pastors who have changed radically in what they have, have preached. They have become infected by false doctrine. They should be prayed for and not followed. Yes. But I think there's been a whole lot more canceling than there should have been. There's a whole lot of fellowship that used to happen that should be still happening. There's a lot of walls that have been built between tribes that for the glory of God should be taken down. Some of you may have wrongly closed off your hearts. Some of you may have left your church because of what a pastor said during the pandemic. And listen, maybe, maybe they just said some crazy stuff. Everybody said crazy stuff during the pandemic. The pandemic was hard for everybody. I know of pastors who got fired over masks. I know pa pastors who were chased out over masks, who were called compromisers over whether you're going to wear a mask or not. That is not right. Nobody knew what to do. It was a hard, it was a, every hundred years you get this kind of stuff. There's pastors that, that married people and buried people and walked people through really hard stuff that then just got canceled because some dude on YouTube told him to. May that not be so among Christians. You think Satan doesn't love that? Now listen, I want to be really clear. I know the pandemic was very hard, and there's some people who lost dear loved ones, and I am not saying anything about that. What I am saying, though, is that there is, Satan wants to gain ground in our hearts where you cancel people and you harden your heart against gospel ministers. The one thing Jesus prayed for is unity. It's the one thing he prayed for, this, for the church to have is unity. It takes discernment, it takes wisdom, it takes God's grace. But he, he will help. Some of you maybe should go back and have conversations with some people that you used to fellowship with that you don't anymore. There's lots of gospel people that I love and miss. And there's some that I probably treated harshly. There's some that I probably said things about that I shouldn't. And over the years, I've tried to, to make those wrongs right. 
We're all susceptible to that. Paul would say, open wide your hearts. Again, if somebody has, has hurt you in, in very true bad ways or they're compromised in clear ways, it's another conversation. Happy to help you think through that. But my prayer might be that we would be marked by the sort of opening our hearts. Because remember here, closing your heart against gospel ministers, according to verse 1, is sometimes closing your heart against Christ. And there are some people who have been tribalized into dangerous sort of just visceral, angry, fleshly, worldly sort of camps that is not doing them spiritual good. Delaware Baptist Church, we need wisdom. We need humility. We need holiness. We need to pray for the American church. We're about to go through another election cycle. My encouragement to you, be careful in this season what you post online, what you say, who you listen to, some of your souls would be infinitely better if you never watched news for the next year. I'm not kidding. I'm 100% serious. You just stayed off social media for a year. See you next December. Tell me what happened. Now, again, I know I'll get emails about that. Yes, we have responsibility. We did a whole seminar on politics and engaging. I'm not saying don't care. I'm just saying we need to be careful and we need to make sure we understand who is king and we need to understand what kingdom does matter supremely. We need to guard our hearts both from being duped and from duping others. May the Lord give us grace. How do we do this? You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus in his word. You lock arms with fellow believers. You follow this urgent appeal, this this authentic appeal, this affectionate appeal, and we come and we cling and we pray for God's grace until we make it home. Delray Baptist Church, I believe he will help us. We'll do it imperfectly. But let us open our hearts to gospel ministers so that we will persevere in God's grace. Receive God's appeal, recognize gospel ministers, and respond with open affection for one another. Oh, Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for texts like this that open a bunch of can of worms, and sometimes we don't know what to do with them, Lord. But we pray that you would do good work in us. Lord, we pray that you would show us the purity and the glory of Christ, that we would see him in his fullness. We pray that we would, we would have hearts that only listen to pure gospel ministry. We pray that we would be men and women who only promote pure gospel ministry. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to persevere, guard us from all of the temptations to worldliness and deception and division. And Lord, might you unify us in Christ. We pray it in his name.